Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson. I'm very glad that you're joining us today on, you know, what appears to feel like a summer day. I mean, I guess technically, the calendar isn't telling us that it's summer. <laughs> but the weather sure is, don't you think so? I mean, it has been hot. We have had some periods of dry, little rainfall. But you know, it sort of balances itself. I don't know, it's, it's, not, it's not ideal what we've had this year, I guess. But maybe every year we have some reason to complain about the weather. But you know, early on in the spring, we had a lot of water, a lot of rain. And then, at least in my area where I garden at, we had a period of dry for nearly three weeks, if my count's not off. And then we did have a surge of some, you know, short intermittent storms, which of course brings some rain, but when they're short and intermittent, they're usually pretty heavy. It's not the ideal rain. And here lately, I don't think we've seen any this week that I can recall. And of course, not just our gardens, but, uh, you know, my livelihood at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. We rely on rain. We rely on water. Now, we do have an irrigation system because if you have a nursery, you've got to have irrigation, folks. But we do love it when the rains come, just as we all do in our own home gardens and back, back gardens, vegetable plots, whatever you're growing. We appreciate those rains. And there is something different. Just like my grandpa said, there is something different about rainwater. There's something different about rainwater than watering out of the hose pipe. Of course, at the nursery, we irrigate from a surface water, which is a lake, small pond. And that's pretty good. You know, there's fish in there. Uh, it gives a little bonus, I guess, a little fertilizer bonus, <laughs> a little fish poo. Uh, but then, of course, rainfall, right? Rainfall, it's something, it's so natural. And rain does come through the sky, and it picks up nutrients along the way because there are a lot of nutrition. A lot of nutrition is in the atmosphere. Uh, nitrogen, nitrogen, which gives our, our plants a boost to grow leaves and stems and anything green. Nitrogen does that, and most of our, the air we breathe is nitrogen. You know, just a small percentage of it is oxygen. But nitrogen is in the air, and, you know, there are some plants that can take it out of the air directly, particularly those plants in the bean family. Uh, anything in the Fabaceae family, the bean family, things like, you know, your white half runners, uh, things like uh, redbud, the tree, redbud, the tree, uh, that we love so much that blooms early on in the spring, 
and then, of course, gives us a little bit of shade and those bean pods uh, that are their seed pods later on in the summer. The redbud is a plant that can take nitrogen out of the air. But the point is there is something beneficial to about rainfall, and I hope and I pray that we get some more because I do want us to have a little discussion today about watering and some of the observations that I have made and some of the recommendations that I give uh, when people ask, how much do I water? How much do I need to water? How often should I be watering? Uh, when should I water? Things like that. I think we'll talk about that today. But also, we are going to talk about some plants today because, well, particularly because June is perennial plant month. Perennial month. And so being here in sort of the middle of June, on the tail end of the middle, I guess, we're going to talk about some perennials. And one of these perennials today comes from a suggestion from a a valued listener. Uh, Uncle Bill, he has been listening to the show and he loves it. He actually says, and this is probably one of the best compliments that I've ever gotten here, was I just wish we could listen to Nathan all day long. Um, And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about a particular plant that he was really getting into. And then the show had to end. So we're going to expand upon that particular plant that Uncle Bill uh, does. He's not my uncle. He's uncle of someone here at the station. Uh, but that's how he signed his message to um, to us. And since then, he and I have been communicating. And he has actually written up a uh, monograph about this particular plant that I'm going to share with you. So we really do appreciate Bill listening to the show, but also providing us with information that we can talk about a little bit later and about a an, an interesting plant that you may or may not want to have in your garden, but I think that is worthy of consideration. And then, of course, if we have time, because you never know how long-winded I will be, then we will talk about some more perennials because June is perennial plant month, which means you need to be planting perennials uh, and putting some in those landscapes. Now, you know, when we talked about planting perennials early on in the year, and you can check out any of those episodes, we had about a four, maybe five-part series about planting, choosing perennials, preparing the soil for perennials, maintaining perennials. All of those topics were discussed. You can check out those older episodes online at NewSouthernGarden.com. And if you have a smart device, you can download any of the uh, podcasting apps. And we should be on there. If we're not on one that you like, just let us know and we'll try to get the show there. But of course, uh, after the show is um, uh, performed here at WRWH 93.9 FM out of Cleveland, Georgia, your hometown radio, every Saturday at 10 a.m., then we bank it away online so that you so that you can have all this information at your fingertips on demand. And really, it's for free. There's no charge. (laughs) So be sure to check out NewSouthernGarden.com and check out New Southern Garden on Facebook and Instagram because it's a great way to stay in contact with the show, stay in contact with me, and send me messages and pictures of things you want to talk about or problems you may have so that we can answer them here on New Southern Garden. All right. Let's have a brief discussion about water and watering because it's very important, especially this time of year, especially this time of year. Watering is essential when it comes to living organisms, or let me just back up. Water is essential when it comes to living organisms. Everything that is alive, anything that is alive, we see needs water. And so with that in mind, trees and plants and flowers and shrubs and et cetera, et cetera, all the things we grow in our landscapes, they are not immune to that. Now, there are some plants, yes, some plants don't need as much water. Some plants need a heck of a lot of water. And some plants can kind of go either way or be right in the middle. 
But there are no plants really that don't need any water. Now, some plants, yes, there is a particular plant we call air plant, right? Now, that air plant grows in the trees. It's an epiphyte uh, that grows in the trees in some um, certain parts of the world. And it looks kind of like moss, you know. It's kind of like a fern in a way. depends on how you want to describe it. Um, To me, it kind of looks like the top uh, or the hair of one of those troll dolls, you know, the trolls that uh, kind of revitalized here lately. It reminds me of, their hair reminds me of what this plant looks like. But that plant hangs out in the trees and only gets water vapor or gets water if it rains. There's no real root system, very tiny root system, that is getting a little water, but mainly it's pulling it in as vapor through the leaves. Very unusual, very strange. But with all that being said, there is no plant that doesn't need any water because without water, you don't have life. So here comes summer, or we're going into summer, and we may see periods of drought, periods of dry weather. That is pretty much guaranteed. Now, of course, being here in the southeastern part of the United States, we do struggle with heat. We also have actually higher amounts of humidity, so we're, we're, we're really a semi-tropical climate, we have a real true winter where it, the temperatures do get cold. The temperatures do not stay uh, um, steady throughout the year in our zone, but they do drop in the winter and they do raise in the summer. And so we do have, you know, a period of hot and dry, usually summer, and a period of cold and wet, which is winter. <laughs> so it seems opposite. You think we would rather have a dry winter and a wet summer when it is hot. But it's not always what we're given. Now, watering, when we talk about watering, to supplement what Mother Nature gives us over the uh, summer months, we do have to consider, are we talking about watering a container? Are we talking about watering newly established plants? Or are we talking about watering plants, uh, sorry, newly planted plants, or are we talking about watering established plants? So again, container plants, new plants that have been planted, and old plants that have been around in the ground for a long time. Now, let's go ahead and talk about watering containers, okay? Because containers are great things to have. And, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flower Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week, we grow everything in containers to sell to the general public, to sell to our clients. And when you're growing a container, you got to remember that container uh, production of plants is very unnatural. It's very unnatural because think about this. Most plants that are planted in, well, the majority of all plants in the world are growing in the earth. Now, within the earth, there are reserves of, you know, nutrition, reserves of extra water. So there are places that plants' roots can grow to to find the things they need. But in a container, remember, in a container, those plants have no access beyond the pot. Everything they need, everything they need to live, they have to be supplied. So that container needs to be well fertilized for uh, for fertility and for nutrition for the plant, but it also needs to be well watered so that the, the plant does not suffer and dry out, right? And unfortunately, unless we lived in a climate where we had average rainfall that came in pretty steadily, then you're going to have to supply that container with some kind of assistance. Now, at the nursery, of course, we have plants in the shade, we have plants in the sun, and depending on where those plants are sitting, 
Sitting? Setting. Setting. I don't know. I learned the difference in that in high school, and I can't remember if we say sit or set. I think, oh, sit is when you actually sit down, and set is when you place it. So I suppose we would say the plant is setting in sun or setting in shade. I don't know. Maybe plants sit. They don't have a lap. But anyhow, um, so if it's in the shade, it may not need as frequent of water. If it's in the sun, it may need water almost every single day. And I will say that is the case at the nursery course, in the nursery, we use black pots, black plastic containers, right? And those black plastic pots, they attract a lot of heat. And so it makes that root system a bit higher, uh, substantially higher than the air temperature, substantially higher than the ground temperature. And so it does dry those containers out much, much faster and quicker. And so if you have a terracotta, uh, you know, terracotta pots are wonderful. They're very earthen, right? They are earthenware. They're made from clay, And so that clay is breathable, it's porous, so water vapor can go in and out, and you may not have to water, you know, clay-type containers as often as plastic containers, particularly dark, dark plastic containers. And so you've always got to be monitoring, and you're going to find a theme through our discussion on watering about monitoring before you moisturize. You always want to make sure that before you water your container plant, that you give it a, uh, a feel with your fingers, uh, feel down into the top few inches of soil. And if it's very wet, well, then you would wait. But if it's very dry in the top few inches, you may give it water. So you're monitoring. Another way to monitor, monitor containers to see if they need water is to lift them. That's right. So if the container is not huge and super heavy and going to throw your back out because nobody wants to have a broken back, then you can lift the pot up And if it's lightweight, if it's not very heavy, then most likely it is dry and it needs some extra water. So one good way to know how heavy your pot should be is to drench your pot, let it drain a little bit, and then lift it, okay? And get used to that weight because whenever the pot is dry, it will be much lighter than after uh, you've, you know, freshly watered it. And so you may have to water once a day on the nursery, I will say that with containers, we sometimes have to water twice a day, especially, especially with plants that are in smaller containers. If you have a plant in a small pot, it may need water more than one time a day. And it does depend on if it gets water from Mother Nature or not. If it's under a patio, then you have to give it everything it gets because the shade of your house or the roof of your house is covering that pot so you've got to water okay gang we're going to talk about more about watering your plants this summer when we get back hey gang it's nathan thanks so much for listening to the new southern garden podcast of course i love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well but sometimes you need more than just information you need plants so i'd love for you to join me at lanier nursery and gardens in flowery branch georgia where you can find me throughout the week but you can find more than just me of course (laughs) at lanier nursery and gardens you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees glorious shrubs and colorful perennials and annuals i want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together.
You know, gang, this morning I said, let's have a brief discussion about water and watering this summer. And I realized that that's probably not going to happen. We're not going to have a brief discussion. We may take up half the show or a little bit more just talking about watering. And the reason I want to talk about it is because this is that time of year, that time of season where we are seeing less and less rain showers. Uh, You know, even if we get a short rain shower, it's like, well, was it enough? Was it enough? If a short rain shower is heavy and downpours pretty hard, most likely those rain showers have just been washing off the top, just rolling off the top of the soil, not working their way in. The ideal rainfall that we would love to have is a slow, light, steady rain, nothing too pounding and nothing too heavy because we want the earth to be penetrated with that moisture. Now, remember... That if we go through a a period of drought this summer where the soil gets very dry, uh, bone dry, that's what some people call it, right? Bone dry. If your soil gets bone dry, then essentially what bone dry means is hydrophobic. Hydrophobic soils are soils that are basically scared of water. They can't uh, uh, attract water or hold on to water because they're so dry. So they slowly have to get re-wetted. Now, in, in horticulture or agriculture, we would use a surfactant, right? And a surfactant is basically like Dawn dish soap in a way. You know, Dawn dish soap is what you use when you're washing grease off of pans, pots and pans, right? And so having something that can be the intermediate between a dry soil and water is essential. But in this case, we hope that our soils do not go bone dry. Now, mulch, of course, helps to keep your soils moist. Um, And you can also use mulch inside of containers, on top of your uh, containers and and the soil you put in there. That does help. As a matter of fact, in some cases at the nursery, we will use uh, mulch in the container as a true mulch, just to keep the container a bit more moist. So, Before the program, or before the break, we were talking about watering containers appropriately. And of course, I made the statement that everything a container needs, it gets from you. The plant's roots cannot go outside of that container. Well, sometimes, right, they will, uh, if you've kept it like me, if, if, if you get some plants that you don't get around to planting and you just stick them under a tree somewhere and then you come back a year later, two years later, I've had some for longer than that, but I will um, not go into details. So that plant has rooted out of the holes, the drainage holes in the pot and into the ground. And so now it's growing in the ground, you know. So that's how it's staying alive by finding more water in the soil. But that's the point. A container does not give your plant everything it needs. So you've got to be sure that you're doing that. Now, we talked about plants in containers. The next kind of plants I want to talk about that you need to be thinking about watering, of course, is going to be plants that were recently installed, plants that were established this spring, maybe. Um, I have planted some things in the ground not too long ago, uh, several, several weeks ago now, probably at least a month, month and a half. So, you know, sometime maybe, maybe even end of uh, April, and things were getting hot, things were getting dry, but I went ahead and planted them in the ground because I knew where they wanted to go, and uh, I wanted them out of the pot. Because again, plants that are in the ground have access to more water, and they don't need as much attention. So think of that that way. Whenever you have a bunch of pots you're holding on to, thinking, oh, well, it's the wrong time of year to plant it in the ground. No, 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 no. They won't need as much water if you put them in the ground. But with that being said, 
We always want to monitor before we moisturize. I said, you know, you're going to find a theme there. Monitor before you moisturize. And that is very true. So with plants that are recently planted in the ground, always look at them. Okay, one of the plants that I just planted this, uh, this spring was a beautiful hydrangea. It's a reblooming hydrangea, you know, in a three-gallon pot, and it still has some blossoms now, and I've trimmed some back. But just the other day, it, I haven't watered it in maybe, oh gosh, two weeks, but it's been kind of dry here. Maybe it's longer than two weeks. It's been a long time since I've had to water it. But as soon as I noticed it's starting to wilt, and it was late afternoon, and plants like hydrangeas may wilt during the day in the heat of the, of the sun, but they're not going to wilt in the afternoon, or they shouldn't wilt in the afternoon. And so I knew it needed some water. So I felt around the soil. Sure enough, the root ball was getting dry, or not the root ball, but around the root ball was getting dry. And so that plant needed some water. But I had to monitor before I moisturize. You can monitor by looking at plants to see if they look a little wilty, or you can actually, and I do recommend to feel the earth, go beyond the mulch, and feel the earth. If you've got a couple, you know, a uh, couple of, uh, what is that, uh, knuckles, a couple of knuckles worth on, a, on your fingertips, get those under the ground. And if that area is dry, then it's probably time to water. People always want to ask me and get a recommendation for how often, how frequently, like give them a schedule, like write it out on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you need to water. And you need to water this much and for this long. And unfortunately, it's very difficult to do that because soil is very different from one area to another. As a matter of fact, from every, you know, uh, four-foot uh, zone on your grounds, say you're standing somewhere, well, four feet away from where you're standing could be completely different. The soil types, uh, the soil color could be different, the texture could be different. There's a lot of factors at play here. And so with that being said, a lot of these factors I can't help you resolve, but the best thing that I have found that works is to monitor, and everyone can do that. If you are checking your plants maybe three times a week, using your fingers, getting them into the soil, if you're checking your plants maybe three times a week, then that gives you the opportunity to make sure that any dry soil is watered and any wet soil is not watered. Sometimes, you know, it, it, irrigation systems are wonderful for new plantings, you know, things that have been recently planted. Irrigation systems, whether it's drip irrigation or overhead irrigation, they're wonderful things to have as insurance. But sometimes, because soil is very different, they're overwatering some areas and underwatering other areas. And so we can't always be consistent. I mean, the soil is definitely not consistent. Some areas may be more consistent than others. So with all that being said, it's hard to give you a schedule on how many days per week and how much per week. I will say that uh, what the universities tell us in the research is that all plants need one inch of water per week. That's a general recommendation. Now, again, rainfall is measured in inches, but you and I, we measure maybe in gallons, right? And so the question is, how much uh, water is that? <laughs> well, it's hard to say because you've got to think about what kind of plant you're looking at. Are you watering a tree? Well, you've got a broad area that needs an inch of water, right? Because tree roots can go on for feet and feet and feet and feet, tens of feet at a time. But now small little plants like uh, daylilies, you know, they're going to have very shallow roots. So you can, only, you can put on a few gallons and that should be enough. Maybe a couple of gallons and that should be enough when you water. But when you do water, we want to make sure that you're watering deeply and infrequently. That's the key here. 
We want to water deeply and infrequently. So let me explain what deeply but infrequently would look like. Most people want to water every day. They think we've got to water plants that are in the ground every day. That's not necessarily true. Now that would be watering every day would be frequently, but infrequently would be one to three times per week. But whenever we water, sometimes we just sprinkle, right? We're in a rush or it takes too long. No, 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 no. Let me tell you how I water my plants that I've just installed, like the uh, hydrangea that I was talking about. I actually have six, seven hydrangeas that were installed this year. Some of them were transplanted, which means they needed even more water, and some were from a root ball, uh, from a container. But where you may be watering your containers every day, you don't necessarily need to water your uh, newly planted landscape plants every day. What you need to do is set a timer, for about 40 minutes and put the hose pipe on that plant for about uh, 40 minutes, but very slowly. If you let it go for very long and very slow, a slow drip and a long, a lengthy amount of time, that will get you, that will get you what we're looking for as far as um, trying to get that infrequent, but deep. 40 minutes or longer every time you water and only do that maybe twice or three times a week or as often as your plants appear to need some assistance so when we water we water uh, deeply but infrequently rather than frequently and shallowly hang on tight we got a little more talked about and some plants on the way stories Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang, we, we've been talking about watering today. Uh, it was supposed to be a short discussion. It's turned into quite a lengthy one, but that's okay because watering is very important. And especially as we get into summer, I want you to feel more prepared on that the techniques you are using to water are, are effective. And so there are a lot of ways that you can water. You know, some, some people have come up with some very bizarre ways like burying PVC pipe underground and watering. Now that does, I assume, does get the water down pretty deep. But if you're, like we said before, watering deeply and infrequently, then you are allowing water to percolate all the way through the root profile of the plant and and below. And then that infrequency keeps water down at the bottom rather than just at the top. And roots will go deeper. You see, that's the trouble with uh, watering shallowly. If you're only watering the top inch when you water, then guess what? That's where your plant's roots will stay. If you're watering just the top inch of soil, keeping that moist for extended periods of time, but there's never any depth to that water in the soil, then your roots don't have to work very hard. 
you're bringing the water right at the top of the soil and they don't have to go any deeper. But to ensure that your plant is getting down deep into the soil so that when a drought does come, it's down there where the water reserves are. Rather than right at the top of the surface, which is very dry, then you want to make sure that you're forcing the plant to look for water very deep. So I can't stress enough to monitor before you moisturize, monitor before you water, making sure plants need it, making sure that that top inch is not very wet, because if it's still wet, you gotta wait. But then also watering deeply and infrequently. It's better to let that plant find water very deep than to just always keep water conveniently located near the surface of the soil. That's right. We don't want our plants, we, want, we don't want to have to baby our plants. We want to make them tough and have them endure what our summer is going to bring. So we've talked about watering containers. We've talked about watering plants that are newly planted. And now let's talk about plants that have been established. How do we water them? Well, the goal here is with established plants, particularly shrubs and trees and many perennials, is that we don't have to water them. That's the goal. That's the hope. Anything we planted in the spring will need our help through this year, most likely. Some things will, some things won't. But things that have been in the ground since maybe at least November, you see, or maybe previous years, anything that's been in the ground since at least November or before probably doesn't need our help much. Now, there's a chance that some of those things that were planted over winter haven't fully established, but that's the hope, is that we are growing plants planting them at appropriate times of the year to where they get quick root growth or have less stress problems uh, like during summer, which is not ideal. But spring and fall and winter, the shoulders of the seasons are the best times to plant things to get them on the way to establishment. Um, and so with that being said, if your established plants, if we go into a very long, terrible drought, which heaven forbid we have that, but say the soil becomes very dry, bone dry, then you may need to supplement water for larger shrubs, maybe some trees, but not usually, okay? That is the goal and that is the hope, is that plants that have been in the ground for an extended period of time don't really need our help. It's mainly the ones that are in a container and the ones that we have just recently planted that need some assistance because they're young, they're juvenile, their root system is not well developed. And so with that in mind, keep an eye out on your established plants, the plants that have been in the ground for a very long time, maybe even years. Keep an eye on them and, and make sure uh, that they don't seem to be wilting. I have seen very few established plants, and I've seen a lot of landscapes, folks, particularly over summer. I have seen very few established plants that have suffered from lack of water because their root system is so, uh, so developed and so uh, reached out and deep into the soil. So, again, when you're watering, just to summarize, when you're watering containers, remember to monitor before you moisturize and water until the entire root ball is soaked and let it drain freely. Make sure whatever you planted in is draining freely because you don't want a lot of extra water in containers because that can cause root rot. 
And then be sure it may be every day, it may be twice a day, sometimes in the summer, depending on where that pot is is, is sitting, setting. We never did figure that out. But uh, then, of course, whenever you're watering newly established plants, water deeply and infrequently, but monitor before you moisturize. The same thing goes. If things are still wet, things are still moist, there's no reason to be watering every day. You can check and monitor every day, but you don't necessarily have to water every day. And then as far as watering plants that have been established, just to summarize again, remember, the goal and the hope is that your established plants do not need excess extra water from you. They should be able to handle what the soil provides and what Mother Nature provides from the sky as rainfall. But in those rare cases where we have extreme temperatures and very dry weather, then you may consider giving them supplemental water. But again, monitor before you moisturize. Well, enough about watering. Let's go into some discussion on plants. Again, remember, June is perennial plant month, which means, well, it doesn't just mean that it's, you know, everything is blooming. A lot of things are blooming. A lot of things are going to bloom even after June, and a lot of things have been blooming before June. Uh, But remember, perennial plants are those plants that return year after year. They come back every year uh, for many years at least, maybe three, maybe five, maybe a hundred. It just depends on the type of plant that you have and are growing. Now, uh, with all that being said, there was a perennial plant that was brought to my attention here recently uh, through one of our discussions, and we had been discussing uh, a the just general euphorbias. Now, euphorbias sometimes are called spurges. There are really probably, um, it's a very large group of plants, there are probably 2,000 species uh, in the world of euphorbias, these spurges, uh, but the probably most well-known spurge is the Christmas poinsettia. Christmas poinsettia is a euphorbia. It's a spurge. You know at Christmas time, whenever you have your poinsettias there in the house and a limb breaks or a leaf falls off, and the sap that oozes out of that poinsettia is very milky. Okay, that is one of the keys here. That is one of the big keys for uh, spurges or or euphorbias is milky sap. It's a very latexy sap. Now, just as a side note, that uh, poinsettia there. You know, we only grow them for a short period of time. But if you were in the tropical zones or tropical climates and you could grow it outside, it would be about a 15-foot tall tree. Can you believe that? That cute little plant that we keep for just a few weeks can live in the ground in tropical climates and be as large as redbud. It's amazing. It is amazing in my opinion. There are some annual, there are some annual euphorbias like poinsettias, but we're going we're going to talk about the perennial kind. And um, there are plenty of cultivars and plenty of species that have been grown and plenty of hybrids that have been grown. It is an amazing thing, the number of spurges, the number of perennials uh, that we can find, uh, perennial spurges we can find, and a lot of hybrids. It's just amazing. But um, some, some people call these euphorb, euphorb, and that name, euphorbia, euphorbs, comes from the Greek Okay, I want to give you a little bit of information on this word. The gentleman's name was Euphorbius. Euphorbius, he was a Greek physician to King Juba II of Mauritania. And that was in the first century AD. He did not realize that his legacy would be embodied in this milky sap plant that we call Euphorbia. 
But Euphorbius, he was a pioneer in, 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 in a way. He used the latex that came out of this plant, which, of course, would be his uh, namesake there. Uh, he used it for medical purposes, being a Greek physician to the Mauritanian king. And so now we have immortalized him in this plant by naming this particular group of plants, the Spurges, Euphorbia. Now, the interesting thing about Euphorbias is that none of the species, no matter which one you're growing, and we're going to talk about one today. Again, like I mentioned, uh, our, our, our good listener, Bill, wanted to talk about Euphorbia and had one in particular in mind he wanted to talk about. But none of these plants, none of these Euphorbias uh, have petals or sepals. And actually, the flowers of Euphorbia are just what we call bracts, B-R-A-C-T-S. They're highly colored bracts. And it's very interesting how they grow and develop. And I encourage you to check out um, pictures of Euphorbia online. I think you will love it. Uh, It's a very uh, almost alien-like plant. But regardless, they don't have true petals. They have bracts instead of petals. And remember that that milky sap, in some species, it is poisonous, definitely acrid, Um, especially if it comes into contact with an open cut. I don't want to scare you away from this plant. Most of the ones we're using here in the landscape, in the garden, they're safe. They're just fine. Deer don't care for them. Rabbits don't care for them because of that milky sap. But definitely don't let the milky sap get in your eyes. If you'd like to treat euphorbia uh, with gloves on, that is just fine. If you want to plant them with gloves on, that's definitely a good idea. But Otherwise, they're not necessarily a problem. It's just something to be careful about. Now, I will say, um, of course, uh, Bill has been listening to the program, and he uh, was, uh, as I mentioned in the first segment, he was listening to our program. We were talking about euphorbia. I only had a short period of time, and so he was getting into that discussion, but then the show had to end. And he brings up this plant, Uh, He has this uh, species of euphorbia called the cypress spurge, or euphorbia cypericeus, cypericeus. And it is, as he knows, it's native to uh, Eastern Europe. Um, He wanted to have a little more information on the history of the plant, how it got here. He, uh, Bill, keeps track of it every year. He keeps dates of its uh, first appearance, blooming dates, and then the full bloom date. Um, But any information that I had, he would appreciate. So I think, though, that Bill has probably more information about this plant than I do. And I'm very glad that Bill sent this in uh, because he sent me some photographs. And I had a uh, euphorbia that I got from this old home place. Okay, an individual, a gardener friend of mine... uh, was digging out plants because their old home place where their mother and father raised them, uh, nobody lived there any longer, but it was going to be demolished because the property had just been sold. And since the building has been demolished and they are building a beautiful warehouse on top of it. It's a shame. But anyhow, so they were trying to salvage a lot of the mother's plants and, and the things that she had been growing and asked me if I wanted these. I said, sure. I had no clue what it was. It had a beautiful kind of yellow looking. I could tell it looked like euphorbia, but I had never seen it in the trade. I'd never seen it in any, any of our growers. Uh, I've never seen it really in any of the books that I've got on uh, perennial plants or euphorbias, which I did. Okay, so then, of course, Bill sends us a message 
And I really appreciate your message, Bill, because you gave me the information I needed to identify this plant. And this plant is known as the Cypress Spurge. The Cypress Spurge, and I think it's a beautiful plant. Uh, It's got some things we need to talk about, though. It's got some things we need to talk about. So we're going to dedicate the rest of the program today to talking about uh, Bill's Cypress Spurge and a little bit more about this unusual plant. It's called a euphorbia. It's drought, fairly drought tolerant. It doesn't like, deer don't like it. The rabbits don't like it. So you may consider this, but I'm going to let you in on a few key points as soon as we get back from this break. Hang on tight, gang. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. All right, gang, we are, you know, I said a lot, we are rocking and rolling in the landscape this morning. We talked about watering and some things you need to consider when you're watering this summer because we never want to overwater plants, but we don't want to underwater them either. Underwatering and overwatering can give you the exact same symptom. It's called wilting. And sometimes when our plants wilt, we think they need more water. But if they've been heavily watered for a long period of time and they stay wet and boggy and soggy, then you may not need more water. Adding more water would be causing more of a problem. So if you've missed any part of our discussion on watering, just check out this episode in a few short hours. It'll be online at NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, on, uh, on the uh, podcasting apps where we bank away these shows so you can listen to them even after they air right here on WRWH 93.9 FM. We are in Cleveland, Georgia, and this is your hometown radio, and hometown radio needs hometown folks. We need hometown plants, and so, of course, we are talking uh, now about one of these unusual plants, this unusual plant that comes from Europe, but it was suggested to us to talk about on this show by a good listener named Bill, and I do appreciate Bill uh, sending in this message because it helped me to uh, finally secure an identification for this plant, which I have growing in a bed uh, at the nursery. Now, the cypress spurge, or euphorbia, it blooms in the spring. Its blooms aren't actually petals. They're beautiful, very vibrant yellow, and Bill sent in some great pictures, and I I don't think he'll mind because he's also given me some information here to share with you. I think we can share those pictures on our Facebook page, so um, maybe be looking out for those pictures at New Southern Garden on Facebook and Instagram, but regardless, um, I am going to send, so uh, see, Bill has sent me a uh, monograph that he's written about Euphorbia Sip. Uh, Cypericius, Cypericius, or Cypress Spurge. And I am going to use his information because he says 
uh, feel free to use any of it. So I'm going to share with you what he shared with me. But I do, before I read, uh, talk about what Bill has sent me, I do want to mention that this plant um, can be a terrible wheat reseeder. It can be, it has become naturalized in parts of West, uh, maybe parts of the South, but mainly like Midwest and North, North, uh, Northeast. Yes, in some parts of the U.S., this plant is considered invasive. So I'm going to mention that before we even talk about the beautiful, um, the beautiful attributes. Georgia, of course, does not necessarily list anything as invasive, but some surrounding states too, uh, surrounding states do. And really, the southeast, this plant has not been observed or seen in large colonies that are invasive. As far as uh, reporting to the USDA is or Forestry Service, I forgot which one I had looked it up on. But regardless, definitely parts of the Midwest and Northeast suffer as this plant being quite aggressive and invasive. So it just shows that some plants, even though they, you know, like kudzu is a problem here, but it's not a problem in Canada. You know, so depending on what part of the country you're growing on, you may experience plants in a different way. With that being said, I think that this plant is quite an old-fashioned plant. It was, uh, what I did find, Bill, was that it did come from Europe, which you may already know, in about the 1860s. So it's been around a long time. It is truly an old-fashioned plant, which is great because I love old-fashioned plants. Sometimes the old things can be made new again. Um, But let me share a little bit with you what... um, Bill has shared with me. This cypress spurge, of course, perennial, member of the spurge family. It is kind of bushy in shape. It's very attractive. Mine at the nursery is very bushy. It has these uh, characteristic kind of yellow-green color. Uh, Of course, Bill does even mention that it's invasive um, species introduced from Europe in the 19th century. It has been banned in some in parts of like Colorado, Massachusetts, Connecticut, in those states that we see it's a major problem. It is found in 43 different states, most of Canada and northern Mexico. A hardy plant, which means that it can handle our winters just fine. It does exist in a wide range of climates from semi-tropical to sub-Arctic. It's quite a diverse plant. It does not mind dry, well-drained soils in full sun. So if you've got a site where you think, oh, you know, we've just talked about water, but I have a very dry site that's very sunny, this plant will do fine. Now, it can tolerate rocky and sandy soils and forms quite dense ground covers. Um, it is seen in open fields, pastures, and along roadsides, which can be a problem in the invasive uh, range that it may uh, overtake those areas But there is the troublesome fact that uh, the spurge propagates by spreading rhizomes, which of course are underground stems, and it does have or is quite uh, invasive in those rich, moist soils and also freely reseeds. I don't think that we have such a problem here in the South with some research that I've done um, because it probably doesn't care so much for clay, and so if it's growing in clay, it may be its spread may be reduced. It may be restrained by growing in clay. But if you do have more loose, sandy, rocky soils, it seems to really just kind of take over that, that rich, uh, rich soils that you may find in the Midwest, things like that. But our clay, I think, is what makes it an okay plant here because, of course, uh, it doesn't spread quite as quickly. Um, So this plant is pretty interesting because it can come in a variety of sizes, four inches tall to 20 inches tall. And I... 
would say, yeah, well, Bill, I'm, I'm going back to Bill's information that it averages about 12 inches tall. Mine is somewhere between 12 and 20. Uh, maybe not quite 18, maybe more like 16 inches tall. Very attractive. The, uh, the leaves themselves look like cypress, uh, very thin, very feathery. And the leaves are sort of a blue, uh, blue-green, sort of a gray color. So it is very attractive uh, from just the, the, the foliage aspect. And then, of course, when they flower... Well, each flower consists of those showy yellow-green bracts, reading from Bill's information here, which eventually turn red with age, just like the other euphorbias. There's no petals. There's no sepals. It's all bracts. And they are arranged along the stem in this alternate kind of whirled fashion. They're whirled around the branch, whirled around the stem, and it gives that appearance of that cypress tree. And that's how it gets its name, of course, Cypress Spurge. It looks a lot like a cypress. It, too, has that milky sap, and whenever I trim back my cypress spurge, it does bleed a uh, white, grayish, uh, milky sap, uh, and, and, and Bill tells us here that in folk medicine, it was used in folk medicine with limited access as an astringent, uh, used topically to treat warts and internally as an emetic. However, the dangerous side effects have limited its use to simple homeopathic preparations. Do not use this plant medicinally without proper medical supervision. So I give credit there uh, for Bill. I did just kind of walk through it, didn't read it verbatim, uh, verbatim or word for word, but I do appreciate his interest in New Southern Garden and, of course, Cypress Spurge and allowing us to talk a little bit more about it and sharing his photographs with us and sharing his monographs with us uh, because that is some good information. Again, it may be a plant that you want to keep in a container because I have noticed in one year, I had a little tiny sprig, and in one year, it has two or three times doubled in size. Uh, well, tripled in size, I guess, if we go times three. But regardless, the cypress spurge seems like a tough plant. May be quite aggressive, may try to pop up in areas it shouldn't, but it is beautiful. And when it's blooming, it's a great conversation piece. So, Bill, many thanks to you, Uncle Bill, and for everyone listening to today's program. We hope you water wisely, water well, stay well, grow well. Do what you have to do to make this the best year that's ever been in your landscape. Stay well and grow well. From Nathan Wilson and New Southern Garden, take care. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 